Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15, and uh, we'll get there here in just a few minutes. Uh, but first off, I want to start and just say, if you are a VBS worker, now it's kind of obvious with the blue shirts on, uh, but just will you slip up your hands? Will y'all give these folks a hand? And they did a fantastic job this week. And I will also say this, um, this is your one free pass to sleep during the sermon. Okay, I don't usually give that out. Okay, but uh, that no, no. You, if you didn't work at VP, you know, uh, these guys work diligently all week, and so uh, I think there should be a saying: there ain't no tired like VBS tired. Uh, so that's uh, that kind of goes with it. Uh, but then let me give you kind of a, a few other announcements. Uh, second off, if you're a father, happy Father's Day, man. We are so thankful for our fathers. So thankful for what you guys do. Uh, we gave you a gift card, uh, but they're closed today, so go tomorrow. Okay. Uh, so, sorry, just how things work. Uh, but also, I, I heard a, a, one of the guys in the first service was telling me that his son woke up this morning, and he's probably 10 or 12 years old, and he told his dad, he goes, hey, happy Father's Day, Dad. You should take us all out for Father's Day today. <laughs> and I thought, what great perspective that he wanted his dad to go to lunch uh, out, uh, but he knew that he was going to have to pay for it for all four of his boys too. Uh, so he said, well, are you going to take... No, Dad, I got no money. You're going to take us. So uh, this is that holiday. And then also, I just wanted to share something with you. Um, it's kind of a neat uh, story, neat thing. Uh, I did a funeral this past week for a lady named Miss Betty Turner. And so if you, how many of you knew Miss Betty? Uh, she was a wonderful lady. Uh, she uh, was really with us in the early stages, but uh, she kind of became homebound and wasn't able to go for about the past five or six years. Uh, if you knew Miss Betty, you knew how independent she was, and she didn't want anybody to kind of talk about what she was or anything like that. And uh, so, but I just wanted to share something that's kind of special with you. Uh, Ten years ago, she actually came into my office, and she said, Jeff, she said, I know that you're going to want to build one day. Have you started a building fund? I said, Miss Betty, I said, we haven't. We pay $8,657 a month in rent in our first place that we were in, and there's, there's just no money to be left over. And she said, well, Jeff, I want to begin the building fund at Pooler Bible Church. She said, now, before I give this to you, I don't want any fuss. I don't want you telling anybody what I did, uh, but she's passed away, and I can tell you now. Uh, it's 10 years later, and uh, so she put a check on my desk for $5,000, which began the building fund at Pooler Bible Church. Now, I can tell you that that fund is up at $216,000 now because she started it almost 10 years ago. And so I just think what a special moment. Yeah, praise the Lord. Um, so I actually, uh, as I was doing her funeral, uh, I typically use my iPad, and I, it was just a small graveside service at Forest Lawn. Right after I told the, the people that were there, uh, my iPad went off. It was overheating, and I was like, Miss Betty, <laughs> Miss Betty. <laughs> so, uh, but it was kind of one of those funny moments. But uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32 uh, is where we're going to be looking at this morning. And so I want to start with this parable and think, how many of you have been on a long vacation, a long trip off at college and just wanted to get home? 
Anybody been there? Where you just, you long for your bed, you long for your place. Uh, I remember a few years back, before Caroline was actually born, I actually went to the Philippines with a Filipino national family from our church. They travel a lot different than we do as Americans. And so we flew, and it was 24 hours of flight time on the way there. And we got to uh, Manila in the Philippines, and we had to wait because we got there in the evening, and we had to wait for the domestic airport to open the next day. And so we get there around 8 or 9 o'clock and uh, we're walking out with all of our suitcases and as we begin to walk out uh, the the couple that I'm with says okay we'll sleep here well here was a park bench at the domestic airport and they go hey you sleep first and I said uh what (laughs) and I and I said uh are we getting a hotel no we're going to sleep here and wait and be the first ones in line at the domestic airport. So I, I did not sleep. And then we get there and it's daytime. And so it's first thing in the morning. And so I just remember that whole trip being on this beautiful island, but being exhausted that whole entire time. And so it was super hot. It was a uh, a, a wonderful place, wonderful people. They made a makeshift bed for me, uh, but I am over 200 pounds, uh, which is not the norm in the Philippines. And so uh, the bed was very small. And so uh, if I rolled over, I rolled out. And uh, it was just one of those trips. And, and I remember I was uh, at their family house. Uh, we went to another one of the islands and uh, I was sleeping in the bed and something bit me. And I still to this day have no idea. They said it was probably a scorpion, apparently not the one that kills you. Uh, but that, that's, and I just, I remember finally getting on the plane to come home and I got to Jacksonville. My wife picked me up and I just remember going, man, I'm finally home. I just, I, I want to go to my bed. I want to see my wife. I want to eat our food, different things like that. And, and I just remember that. And so anybody ever been on a trip like that where you're just, you're kind of ready to get home. And so this is kind of one of those uh, adventures that kind of goes with that. But there's three emotion or a couple of emotions that you feel when you come home. Okay. The first is excitement. You get to see all of the people that you miss. Maybe you've been gone for a long time. And I remember telling stories about what God did in the Philippines while I was over there, how wonderful the people were and all. I'm just sweet, sweet, sweet people. And I remember telling that story all over and over and over again. So there's a little bit of excitement when you come home. And then there's this emotion of sadness. The trip is over. And it'll be a while before you get to go on another one because they're really expensive to go on. And so you think about that and all that comes with it. The next one is numbness. Now, the worst part about traveling is unpacking. Can I get an amen? If you could just leave all your stuff there and come home with brand new stuff, it'd be awesome, right? Uh, The numbness that comes with that, you get into the, I got to get it done mentality. And then I'm getting back into the grind. I'm getting back into work. I'm getting back into the routine. All of those things kind of come with this. And then there's inspiration. You feel like, you accomplish something in your life. You can check off this list or this bucket item and, and this dream that's been fulfilled and maybe you're inspired for this next opportunity that comes up. But the reality is there is nothing like coming home. I remember being off at college and coming home and just thinking, now, a fun fact, uh, my parents actually moved while we were at our freshman year at college and didn't tell us, so me and my brother showed up to the wrong house. Uh, 
Not sure if that was intentional or not, but that's in my therapy sessions for later. Uh, So when you think about this, but there's nothing like coming home, just that drive home or that willingness to come home and be welcomed home. So the parable that we're going to talk about this morning has kind of that theme that goes with it. But before we get to the parable, I want you to understand Luke is probably one of my favorite gospels because of the way that he depicts things and the way that he lays things out. And so in the first two chapters, we see the birth of Christ being revealed. Luke wants the gospel account of Jesus Christ being born to be on display so that we could know it for all of the years to come. In in chapters three through nine, Jesus is announcing the kingdom is coming, the coming of the kingdom. I think one of the important parts that Luke is trying to capture is what Jesus was teaching why he was teaching it, and why he spent all three years teaching this exact same theme. Chapters 9 through 15 are teaching and preaching from Jesus about the kingdom of God. He was teaching them what was to come, that this is how they should live, this is how they should act, this is how they should be moving forward. And in chapter 15, we get this weird understanding where Jesus is sitting with sinners and tax collectors. So to give kind of this correlation, one of the authors actually writes about this, and he says that there was this battle of two banquets. At one banquet, you had all of the religious leadership, all of the people that really kind of had the suits and ties and the tuxedos and really knew how to be at this banquet. Now, can I tell you something? After seeing your kids dance, we're going to start doing dance lessons here, okay? Because... Maybe rhythm is not your thing, so Bodhi comes with this. So these people at this banquet, they knew how to throw a party. They knew how to do this. But then as this other banquet was unfolding, there were sinners and undesirables that really don't get invited to the banquet. The confusion was that Jesus was at this banquet rather than the one that everybody thought that he should attend. So the writer says this, it was like a battle of two banquets was taking place. The one banquet had all of the undesirables and the other had all of the religious leaders that felt like they belonged at the banquet. The first banquet frustrated the second banquet because they did not think they deserved to be there. And the second one frustrated the first because they did not like the people at the banquet. And so understand, this is the division within most churches People that feel like they do belong and people that feel like they don't belong. This is that division that takes place. The reality is that Pooler Bible Church, this should not be a division at all. Everybody is welcome in this place. There's nothing to distinctly identify that you are different in this place. We are all sinners and we all get to sit with Jesus. And so understand that this parable is laying this out. But there's a lot of contrast in this parable. In verse 12, you see a son that is lost. In verse 11, you see a son that is not lost. You see this division of these two different sons. You see in verse 13, this extravagant waste. And then in verse 23, you see extravagant celebration. In verse 14, you see complete loss. In verse 22, you see complete gain. In verse 15, you see degradation and shame. And then in verse 21, you see repentance. In verse 16, you see total rejection. And then in verse 20, you see total acceptance. There's a lot happening in this parable 
a lot of things that are unfolded on a regular basis here in this parable. And so I would tell you that I could probably preach 10 messages on this, but I'm only going to preach one. And I was reading an article this past week on what is the average time that a pastor should preach. Now, this goes from 14 minutes, which I'm just going to be honest with you. That ain't happening here. Okay? Up to 54 minutes. Now, do y'all want to go to 54 minutes? Sweet. I knew half, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm in that middle of the road, 30 to 40 minute guy. Uh, If I'm really on fire that day, we'll get up to 54 minutes. But now I have a new goal, right? So we understand that there's a lot happening in this passage. You could take this parable for 10 weeks and just study it and see all of the different distinct figures that took place. But I want to go over a few this morning. You have two different sons. The first chose to leave, and we pick this up in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took the journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, when we talk about this first son, we understand that this first son went to his father and said, Father, give me all that my inheritance will be. Now, I want to be very clear this morning, that if my daughters come up to me and say, Dad, hey, give me all that you're going to give me when you die, I'm going to look at them and go, wait till I die. Can I get an amen on that? Man, this is that understanding that they are going to wait. You don't jump the gun on this. You don't go to your dad and be like, hey, is your heart hurting today? Can I go ahead and get mine now? This is that first son, he just infuriates me. Man, why would he go to his father and say, hey, I know you're going to die one day. Look, we all understand this, but we don't talk about this. Hey, can I have this? Now, some of you have claimed a vehicle or a ring or different things like that, but this guy was asking for it all. Give it to me now. Not sure why. He could have been dissatisfied. He could have looked at his father's rules and said, I'm out, I don't want to do this anymore. There's no implied understanding as to why he left. Maybe he was a young entrepreneurial spirit, spirit that said, I can do this better than what my dad can. Whatever the case, he chose to leave and he chose to take everything of his inheritance with him. The next thing that we see is that he failed miserably. Now, I wish that scripture gave us a timeline for this because I'm guessing it took about six months to burn through everything. Maybe it was three years. Maybe it was 10 years. Whatever it was, this ending was that he spent everything. He lost everything. And then a severe famine happened in the land, which means he's out of whatever job that he had. And he has nothing. 
He comes to the place in his life where he finally gets hired on at a job and it's working with pigs. Now listen, for us, this doesn't even seem too bad, but working with pigs is a nasty job. But imagine if you are a Jewish man who sees this animal as truly unclean. This is no longer just the worst job. This is no longer just the humiliating job for the people that Jesus was talking to. They could not believe that a Jewish man had fallen so far that he would work with the pigs. Listen, I've been to Israel twice. There's not a pork chop or a piece of bacon in that whole country. I I tried to find it. For him to fall this far is awful. For him to look at pigs that he's been taught his whole life and hope that the pig did not eat all of their slop so that he may have just a little portion. Can you imagine He's lost everything. He's no longer in the presence of his father. He's lost everything. And so in this moment, as he may be sitting on this fence, looking at the pigs, hoping that there's some left over, that he may get an ounce or a morsel of food, this is what he had to feel. He was lonely, ashamed, probably recounting all of his bad decisions, everything that led him up to this point. He was in need of somebody, somewhere, something to give him some food. He was completely hopeless. We have a glimpse of the second son, and I'll go into a little bit more detail later on. But he stayed faithful. So we have this this group, this individual, this unfaithful. He's taken everything. He's squandered everything. He's gotten into a really bad situation. But then we have this second son. This is the good son. He stayed faithful. He probably had to work even harder now that his other brother was gone. He never questioned his dad. He was loyal to the father, and he did everything right. Now, can I ask you a question? How many of you in here are the good son? Look, I'll go ahead and start it off. I know I am. Okay, good. How many of you are the wayward son? Man, think about it. We're relating to these two individuals very clearly. You think... That the second son stayed faithful, did things the right way. He never questioned his father. He was that good son. And so we have this two different sons going on. And we have this moment in verse 17 where he finally realizes that he may have the possibility just to go home. Verse, Verse 17, but when he came to himself, came up with this idea, he said, how many of my father's Hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I love what he says. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him. He gives this description of what he's going to say. 
I love the understanding that he's laying out that I'm looking at pigs, I'm waiting for them to stop eating so I can get just a little bit of food. You know what? My father's hired servants have more food than I could ever even imagine. Do you know what it takes for a son to go back to his father? Because in your mind, you're going to hear, I tried to tell you. Are you ready to listen now? This is going to be my way. If you'll do this my way, you can enter back in. I can't believe you are so, why would you do this? Listen, every time a son deals with this moment, we worry about coming back to our father with the embarrassment of this. To give you kind of an understanding of what he was dealing with, how many of you, when you were little, your mom said these words, wait till your dad gets home. Anybody with me? Listen, my mama's spankings didn't hurt. I just, I I feel like I need to be truthful. But my dad, he wasn't leaving until it hurt. This was back before cell phones and all those things like that. And look, if you were me and my brother, it was probably before 9 a.m. that this conversation happened. So from 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. when he got home, we were constantly worried going, oh man, when he walks in, it's over. Maybe we should hide. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should be nice to our mom and maybe, just maybe she won't tell him. As soon as he walks in the, her, in, in the house, Herb, you need to deal with your boys. I love the fact that we were never my mom's children in that moment. <laughs> it was the exact same feeling that this son had going back home, going to his father. So he gets over that. He says, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And it takes a lot of humility to get to that point. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I'm not looking to be a part of the family. I'm not looking to belong. I just want to be present so I can eat and have shelter. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And look at the response. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. I promise you, no matter how long that walk was for this son to go back to his father, he never looked at that moment as if this would be the outcome. He looked at it and said, he's going to whip me. He's going to beat me. He's going to reject me. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. He never thought that the father would be compassionate. Imagine that the father was compassionate, so compassionate. And listen, the Jewish men do not run. This is not one of those moments where he goes and runs to his kid and he kisses him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your 
son. Imagine that as he's walking back to his father, he's thinking through his mistakes. He's thinking through how he gave up, how he humiliated he was, possible rejection. And when he walks back, his father receives him as if he's never left. I love the understanding that the father's response continues to carry on in verse 22. He says, but the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Imagine this, that he's laying out and he's saying, I'm not going to put you with the, the wild beast and the animals or with my servants. I'm going to give you a robe. This is to set him apart as family. This is to bring him into the fold. This is for people to understand that he was part of the family. He continues and he put it on him and he put a ring on his hand. This is to signify him being a part of the family that he has the the equal part of being a son again and shoes on his feet. Listen, I want you to understand in this time period, those that worked for the master did not have shoes, did not have rope and did not have a ring. He brings him back into the fold and treats him as if he's a son. Then he says, and bring the fatted calf, not the small scrawny one, the big one. He said, and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. And listen to what the father says. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And can you imagine Witnessing this event. Seeing this wayward son come home in this reuniting ceremony and everything being this wonderful thing where the father has received him. I'm sure at this point, tears began to roll down the son's face because he never expected to be welcomed back in. There's an Augustine quote on this parable. It says, you never leave us, O God. But yet only with difficulties do we return to you. Think about the understanding that the son had in this moment to return to his father. Then we have the second son's response. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and claim this early. This is where I would be in the story. Luke chapter 15 and verse 25 through verse 32. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Imagine this. The good son who was faithful that did everything right. He's out in the field and he's working hard. And as he walks back up, he realizes there's a party going on. There's a celebration taking place. He says, and he called one of the servants. Get this. The dad didn't even invite the good son. He has to ask the servants and ask, what do these things mean? Is there a party going on that I don't know about? I'm the good son. I should have been helping planning this. This should be for me and my occasion. And the servant said to him, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 
Man, those words brought anger and frustration. He says in verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But the good son looked at his father and he said, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat for my friends to celebrate. But yet this wayward son comes home and you kill the fatted calf. So I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. You imagine the frustration that began to set in. Dad, I've never even asked for a goat. Now, can I clarify? Maybe there's some confusion this morning. If you offer me goat steak or calf steak... I don't want goat meat. Can I get an amen on that? Listen, I'm not going to eat goat for lunch. Wasn't like he was asking for a ton. But the son who was wayward is eating a T-bone. And it's cooked perfectly, medium well. Look, you can be wrong if you want to. You see the division take place. One son who did everything right and one son who didn't. So sometimes it's hard for us to even think that this is a parable because this is unfolding in every family that we deal with. This is the dynamics that take place in most families. You either relate to the good son or the, or the wayward son or the father in all of these instances. So here's the ending. There's no resolution. There's no rest of the story that fixes the problem. Jesus walks away from the people that are listening to this story. Can you imagine them going, did the sons ever reconcile? Hey, did the, did the compassionate father ever give the son a, a more of an inheritance? Why, did, did, they, did they, is this a Cain and Abel story? Jesus walks away. This may, I've tried to study history for a long time, this may be the first mic drop moment. Where Jesus just walks away. He doesn't tell them if anything is ever resolved. And listen, if you're sitting there listening to it and I in the sermon right now, you're frustrated. So why the cliffhanger? 
There was no, hey, come back here for this sequel. There was no Fast and the Furious sequel going on here. Are there 27 of those now? There was no, hey, come back tomorrow and I'll tell you the rest of the story. Ended. So as I was studying this, why the cliffhanger? And I think the major point of this parable is this. We all relate to one of these people in this parable. Every one of us. So listen, let me dive into this for just a second. You may be the father, and you may have a wayward son and a good son, and you may be dealing with this from this perspective. And can I tell you that your response should be compassion? When you see your son come home, you should run to him and welcome him with open arms. Do you know why that that's important? This is how God receives each and every one of us. Look, families are divided over so many different things. Listen, you may relate to the bad son in here this morning. You may be the one that says, I'm too far gone. I've done too many things. There's no way that God can receive me. One of my favorite conversations A guy called me and he said, hey, will you share Christ with my friend? So I actually took Jerry Kirby with me. We went and sat on the front porch of this guy's house. And as I was sharing Christ with him, he looked at me and he said, Jeff, you don't understand what I've done. There's no way that Christ can forgive me. I looked at him and I asked this question. I said, have you killed Christians just for being Christians? He, he got mad, like wanted to fight me, but he was in a wheelchair, so I liked my odds. <laughs> and I said, the, the person that's writing to you wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, killed Christians for just being Christians, and God allowed him to be forgiven, and he can do the same thing for you. Listen. There is nothing that is in your life that you are too far gone to come home to the Lord. You may be the good son in this story. You may be the entitled son, I'd like to call him. The one that thinks that you've done everything right and you deserve something. The reality is nothing is deserved. Grace's unmerited favor given to us. And because we've done things the right way doesn't offer us an entitlement. It offers us humility. We should be humbled that we have not had to go the route of the other son. We should be humbled by the grace and the mercy and the inheritance that's going to be ours one day. So I tell you this morning, Come home. No matter where you are in your relationship with the Lord, come home. Because his response will always be the same. But I tell you as we close, the response is left to you. 
Will you be the gracious father? Will you be the gracious father who loves? Now listen, this doesn't mean that you uh, enable or you offer. Look, you are the father and the compassionate father taught this son how to do things the right way. He willingly chose to go against it. This doesn't mean that you offer your condolences or all these different concessions to every lifestyle that's in there. This means you stand firm in your relationship with God and when they're ready to come home, you lovingly embrace them. Will you wander away from the Lord? Probably. I tell you this morning, it's time to come home. Will you be faithful and judge those that are around you? Probably, but you have to stop. So the moral of this parable is that you are always welcome at home. And home is with the Lord. Home is where we feel the most safe, where we feel the most secure. It's the place that we're always welcome no matter what's taking place in our life. And it's the place that we don't feel entitled but appreciative at. So I ask you this morning, which one do you relate to? If it's anybody other than the compassionate Father, and listen, the Heavenly Father has set our example on what we should continually be doing. Doesn't matter if you're the good son or the bad son, whatever it is, we need to turn towards the compassionate Father. If every head bowed and every eye closed, I know that this is Father's Day, and I know that fathers um, have raised their kids in many, many different ways. But I love the understanding that's given here, because it gives us a roadmap on how to deal with things. Do you know that most kids will be in conflict with each other at some point? And how do we resolve that? How do we deal with that? The only way that we can deal with that is by being compassionate and continually setting the example of Christ to our kids and to the family that's around us. So I ask you this morning, and maybe you don't have this father as an example. Listen, I'm so sorry for that. But you have a heavenly father that loves you, that cares about you, and is inviting you, begging you to come home. Stop running away from him. Stop thinking that you can do it better on your own. Stop being frivolous with your life and come home to the Lord. I promise you, he will welcome you with open arms. He will run to you and he will kiss you on the cheek and say, I'm so glad you're home. Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful for your grace and mercy this morning. We're thankful for this parable, thankful for the impact that it's had on me and the understanding of who you are. Father, I'm thankful that you didn't finish the story, that you left it in our life to live out. Father, as I was reading this, I was left wondering what my life would look like. Would I move into the compassionate Father roles? pray for those that are dads in this, in this church this morning that they would be compassionate fathers and that they would be the proper example of Christ to their kids.
Father, I pray for those that are kids in here that may be the wayward son or maybe the good son, whichever one that they are, I pray that you would begin to work in their hearts so that one day they would be the compassionate father. Father, I love the illustration that he was dead and now he's alive. Lord, this is who we are in Christ. The inheritance that's given to us is by you. Father, may you be glorified in our life this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If everybody would stand as we sing this verse of invitation, and I hope these are more than words to you, that you would sing this out and that you would praise with us as we close.